Not only am I eternally grateful to the Hoffman teachers, what you all do is absolutely amazing, a huge gift to humanity, but it's also the whole process is so incredibly well designed. And for a self-described control freak, it was really wild to watch all the details that go into it, to basically be in an environment where you can go into that moment and feel completely safe. Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Liz Severn, and on this podcast, we will explore graduates' journeys of self-discovery and learn how the process transformed their internal and external worlds. Hope you enjoy. Hi, today we have Karsten joining us. Hello. Nice to meet you, Liz. Karsten, you... (laughs) Nice to meet you, too. You mind... um telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do in the world. Sure. I grew up in, uh, in Europe, in Germany. Um, I'm a dual citizen. I was, I was actually born in the United States, but when I was about a year and a half old, my parents were Danish and German, moved back to Europe, and then I grew up like any other German kid. And after I graduated from high school, then went and uh, came over to San Francisco to attend Berkeley and been living in the Bay Area and occasionally moved back to Europe for work reasons. Uh, so I've been back and forth, I think, three times. But in 99, I settled here in San Francisco, lived in the Bay Area pretty much ever since. And work-wise, I was a, um, started off as a software engineer. And then I ended up going into consulting. Me and uh, a few friends, we, we started our own consulting firm, grew that. And so my career has sort of meandered through a whole lot of different areas. I spent about 10 years in the private equity industry and have also done turnarounds and helped companies grow. And so I've done all kinds of different things. But currently, I'm running a um, company in the logistics space. I had the um, <laughs> the brilliant foresight to take over a company just uh, shortly before the, the pandemic and the ensuing supply chain crisis that then came to bear. So it's been an interesting few years, but that's that's sort of what I do for a living and, and a little bit about me as, as background. Yeah, thank you. And I know you are well known in the Hoffman office because you are an excellent referral source. I know that Hoffman has a huge place in your heart and you know, you're doing some really interesting things, bringing it into businesses and really using it as a leadership tool. But before we dive into that, I always love to hear how you heard about Hoffman and kind of what drew you to the process. I owe the discovery of Hoffman to uh, a gentleman by the name of Rick Hansen. He was a therapist of mine. And um, I had discussed with him this, this sort of wild notion that I was in my, in my 40s. And while I, on the surface of it, from the outside, I you know, had pretty much everything that one could want, I was not quite settled. And I wasn't quite feeling like, basically, I wasn't quite feeling as happy as I thought I should be. There wasn't a sort of a big crisis that precipitated that. So we met every two or three weeks and we worked through a a bunch of things and, but somehow it didn't quite settle in for me. And I was getting a little sort of frustrated with the process. He looked at me one day and he said, yeah, the last foot and a half is always the hardest. And I, and I looked at him and I said, what do you you mean, Rick? And he, he pointed at his forehead and then he pointed at his heart and he said to go from here to here is really, really difficult, especially for you, because I basically lived from the neck up. 
I have, you know, achieved what I have achieved in life pretty much through basically pure intellect and then just raw power. I would just power through everything, you know, just get it done. And so what I'd learned was that my way of being, while it helped me get to where I am in life, right around midlife, I guess, it didn't serve me very well. And so he recommended the Hoffman process for me. And I sort of looked into it and it took, it took me exactly 24 hours to sign up. I took it in 2014. And then um, I actually came home that Sunday. I came home to my family. It was actually my actual birthday. And so that was a very sort of sweet homecoming from that perspective. But that's how I got introduced to the process. Yeah. So, I mean, going on, well, nine-ish years, and it's still very much alive in you from what I hear. Yeah. I always say Hoffman gives you a high-definition map of your patterns and who you are and what you do and why you do it. And then a big box of tools so that you can decide, you know, what you want to do with the map and overcome obstacles. And so I, I sort of set out to then make gradually, but make the necessary changes to live the life that I really want to live. It's been an amazing journey for me. It was a fair bit of work in the beginning, but at this stage, I have pretty much sort of been able to master all the bigger patterns that used to rear their ugly heads. And that's been, it's been incredibly helpful. So yeah, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for the Hoffman process. And this is one of the reasons why I've been recommending it to so many people to use it as a leadership development tool. Because at some point, I think five years into it, as a chief executive, you work with a lot of really smart people and you're hiring people. But what I noticed, I would see these really smart, incredibly capable people occasionally. And at the extreme end of the spectrum, they would do things to shoot themselves in the foot because they're patterns. And once you kind of see that model that Hoffman sort of, you know, it's a model of thinking or a model of looking at the world and at humans, then you can't unsee it. And so I had a situation where somebody was basically, I had to have a difficult conversation. And I said, this behavior is not acceptable. I don't care how brilliant you are, but you cannot behave this way. And I, I will literally, the next time this happens, I will have to fire you. Make a long story short, that individual I offered this and saying, and I'm happy to, to pay for the process, but this might help. But there's no obligation. Just take a look at it. You know, the individual went and came back and it, it made a huge difference. It was very, very positive. Like I said, it allowed him to understand when these patterns would come up that would cause him to be, you know, to behave a certain way. We gave him permission to leave a meeting, for example. He was incredibly high contributing. It was very valuable. And so it was well worth it to say, hey, we'll make some accommodations for you. So when a certain pattern would rear its ugly head, he would just leave, go around the block, do whatever he needed to do, recycle the tools that he had in order to manage it. And then over time, the beautiful thing was, you know, the incidents where, you know, he had to excuse himself became less and less and less. And that was sort of the, the moment when I realized, you know, I, I could probably use this as a development tool, a uh, leadership development tool. And so I've been very carefully and judiciously, but I have been using it ever since with pretty good success. So tell me more about that. So when you say using it as a leadership development tool, how do you pose or even engage some of your leadership team in conversations around it? Well, like I said, when you understand the framework of patterns and where they come and they originate, you see them all around you. 
typically I see sort of two broad categories. There's somebody who has a lot more potential, but is holding themselves back. Or somebody who is displaying behaviors that are causing problems in working with others in terms of teamwork or how they're interacting with others where, you know, they might not, others might just be turned off by a certain behavior or so, um, and so forth. So when I see that, I then start to have a conversation uh, along those lines and saying, hey, we, because I mean, any good leader needs to do that anyway. For example, in the former category, when we're talking about somebody who has more potential, I will talk to them all along about that saying, hey, you know, I think you could take on more responsibility, but, you know, we have people who are, let's say, I don't know, either conflict avoidant or there's a lack of self-confidence. The Not Good Enough Club is, I think, has a lot of members. I'm a member of that club. I used to be, you know, part of what was driving me in life to, to succeed was the feeling of not being good enough. And I know there's lots and lots of those out there that belong to this club. So you, you see certain, you know, there's like the classic top 10 patterns. And when you kind of see things that where you can say, hey, you know what, let's talk about that. And as you learn more about the individual and, and what they're going through, sometimes you then get to the point where you're saying, hey, I have something, if you're interested, that could really help you with that. And then I just sort of talk a little bit about it. And if I sense an interest, then I will, um, you know, saying here's the website, learn more about it, and we'd be happy to invest in you and, and pay for the process. I mean, everybody is different and it's definitely not mandatory. And I, and I let people know this is not a thing that one must do at the company. It's purely just a voluntary leadership tool for, for somebody who really feels like they could benefit from that. Well, I know you have a pretty firm belief, right? That to be a great leader, you have to deal with your patterns. <laughs> yes, that is true. And <laughs> Yeah, well, because I love this idea, right, of you wouldn't necessarily find the Hoffman Institute under any leadership retreats, or we don't talk about leading or really talk anything about work, right? It's one of our cornerstones is we don't talk about work during the process. So how do you kind of phrase it to people to understand that this actually has nothing to do with work, but all about you and this deep dive into you? Well, and I think previous question that you asked is also in terms of my leadership style. You can be a good manager, but you can't be a great leader unless you really understand yourself and your own patterns of behavior. I believe that deeply. And I think that to be a great leader, you have to really you have to be authentic. You know, authenticity to me is absolutely what is like one of the absolute most important things. You have to be authentic. You have to be willing to share of yourself because why would people share things about themselves if you don't do it yourself? You have to create an environment that's safe. You know, you can do all those things and still have a pretty high performing culture within the company. But I do believe that unless you really have a reasonably good grasp of yourself, your patterns, all of the things that make you, you, the good stuff and the stuff that sometimes gets in the way. You can't be a great leader. I just, that's just my belief. It's kind of a natural next step to say, how do I get there? You know, because we're not born with that. We're born and then we develop our patterns and then we're on this journey where we can become better at what we do. And part of that, in, in my belief, is to, to understand your patterns. So the next step is then to say, I've done the work. Here's what it did for me. And here's how it made me a better leader. Not perfect. I'm still on my journey. And then you'd see if there's somebody who's interested in that and see who wants to engage in that. And that comes with emotional intelligence, basically. And I mean, I try to hire a leader who have a level of emotional intelligence so that they can be a great leader. When you mentioned your leadership style of, and I know these two words are really important to you, vulnerability and authenticity. 
What was your journey into both of those, into your own vulnerability, into discovering your authenticity? Was Hoffman a part of that or walk us through a little bit of that? Uh, authenticity, I think has always been one of my biggest strengths and one of my big, biggest weaknesses. You know, I don't do small talk very easily. I really believe in being real and getting into things. It's been always part of who I am. That can make it really great when you're having, you know, when you're trying to connect with somebody uh, on a certain level, but it can be also, can be hard sometimes at cocktail parties. You know, I had to really work on that skill set from that perspective because I really, am curious and interested in all kinds of things and in, in, in other people and really want to know more about where they come from, what makes them them. You know, there's so much that we as a society don't talk about it. And the flip side of that is then goes into this vulnerability because we feel vulnerable in sharing these kinds of things. You know, Hoffman had me has, has helped me understand that vulnerability is actually a superpower. You know, it it really is both a skill, it's a gift, it's just it's wonderful to share yourself with others in a way that allows them to also open up and and we can then connect on an authentic level with each other. Beautiful. When I, you told, once told me a story and I, and I think it encompasses all of this in that you really model this for your employees and for your staff. And an example that you gave me once was if you didn't show up to a meeting how you wanted to, or, you know, you didn't show up in your full authenticity, you sent a follow-up email. And I love that. I, I jokingly refer to those as my, my meltdowns, but never not showing up authentic, maybe over overly authentic at the moment. But, you know, there was a period where it was just incredibly stressful and I was just frustrated and there was all kinds of things going on. I was getting hit from 15 different sides and be in a meeting and I would just express my frustration with a certain situation on a project in a way that wasn't quite right. Like I don't throw things or yell at people or whatever else. It was a bit too much. I wish I would have been more elegant or a little bit less intense just say, hey, you know, here's what's going on with me right now. This is what happened. And I apologize because I really should have handled that better. That goes a really long way. I mean, it's consistent with, you know, being authentic in that sense. We're, nobody's perfect. And obviously you can't cross certain lines. I can't yell at people or throw things or do certain things, but we all have bad days. And I think as a leader, you have to apologize just like as a parent, you know, my children, I try to always apologize. If I screw up, I'll say, hey, you know what? I wasn't at my best. Here's what's going on. I had whatever a really crappy day at work or whatever was going on. So that is both authentic, but also vulnerable. And, you know, they kind of go hand in hand in certain ways. Having sent several people on various teams and various organizations that you're a part of, what have you noticed has been the result? Like, have you noticed a shift in teams or in the dynamics in the workplace? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I try to do is not place any expectations on anyone who's going. You know, we'll share a lot about as much as, you know, as is productive beforehand without actually giving away details about the process itself and afterwards being there to support the individual. But I try not to place any kind of expectations on it. I use this metaphor saying, you know, Hoffman gives you a map, a really clear map of why you do what you do in terms of the patterns and it gives you a toolbox. And you know, if you don't choose not to use the map, or if you choose not to use the toolbox, not much is going to change. And it's really up to the individual to do the work or not. But what Hoffman gives you, and this is true not just in the workplace, it's true for my partner, Alicia, has been through the process. The professional relationship is still a, 
an interpersonal relationship. It's still a relationship. It's just different. But when you have a same a similar framework of talking about patterns and how they affect one another or a situation, you're using the same nomenclature. You're using sort of a mental model of how to talk about these things, and it's incredibly helpful when we're talking about leadership development and when we're talking about somebody who may not be who may hold themselves back at work, we can now talk about the patterns that are at work and saying, all right, what can we do here? But oftentimes people will go and start using the tools and they will come back with a lot more empathy for themselves. And they will come back with the ability to work on letting go of this feeling of not being good enough or whatever was holding them back before. But the career development discussions change then because you're using the same nomenclature, you're using a mental model that both sides understand, and you can then really dig into helping somebody get their career sort of to the next level. And obviously, that goes without saying, but I say it anyway, you have to make sure you create a culture that is safe, where people feel safe enough to, to really open up in, in, in a certain way. And that's that's key. But if you do that, it works really, really well. Well, what are some of the kind of pillars of safety that you've been able to cultivate or that you've found really helpful in a workplace? It's interesting. I've never explicitly thought about that. I mean, I think it begins also with authenticity as a leader. You know, you can't show up and say, do as I say, not as I do. You got to be consistent. You got to be authentic. You have to make sure that when people speak up, that you use it in a productive way. You can't use it against them. You got to make sure everybody feels heard. For example, in my company or various companies, I've always had a firm no asshole rule. I really don't care if you're a brilliant jerk. That's just no, there's no room for you there. We work hard. We spend a lot of time working together. There's no, there's no room for that. You know, that's part of trying to minimize the politics. You really need to be authentic. You need to be fair. You need to be a good communicator. You need to be open and you need to make sure that people feel heard and that they feel safe to speak up, uh, as long as it's appropriate, obviously. I've never actually really decoded what it means to create a safe environment. I, I just sort of always did what I felt I would want to feel safe at work. But I, I love just talking and thinking about Hoffman in the workplace in a sense that I have had so many students over the years that have come to me, and it's very separate. Like, oh, nope, that's work. And I have all these problems in my, you know, my home personal life or whatever it is. I can recognize all of these patterns in my personal life, but I really struggle to see the patterns in my professional life. And so I, I love this invitation that you're offering, especially as a leader of like inviting and calling people into that of saying, hey, these patterns are also at play here in the workplace. You know, it, I almost want to ask the question back to you to say, what have you sort of seen and have people had sort of blind spots that way? Now, people can be wildly successful by being complete jerks and you see it all the time. It's just not a kind of environment I would want to work with. And to a certain degree, while I was never like a complete jerk, but I was, I was not where I'm today, I was, I was definitely really good at being a jerk to myself and pushed myself beyond what sometimes even physically what, what was healthy that comes from my childhood, my childhood patterns that got me to a certain level of what we would consider success, but eventually led me into <laughs> Rick's office to say, hey, got all this stuff, and but I'm not quite happy. I don't see how you can separate the two. And my question to you maybe is, what do you see with your students? Do you ever talk to them about it? Because I, I don't know how you can separate one from another. I mean, maybe you can compartmentalize these things in a way that, you know, you think, eh, well, that's work and I don't really need to worry about that. But I, I don't. And I say this in the context of being a leader, a great leader, right? 
Yeah. And I think the number one thing that I often see is that, and it's just sort of, as you were saying, like our patterns at times can, we can develop skills from them, right? And sometimes those skills go on to make us really successful in work. But when we transfer those same patterns over to our personal life, things fall apart. So being the overachieving overworker, you know, really great perhaps to get your numbers up at work or to close those deals. But when we take that same sort of energy into our family, people don't like that. And so I think there's always this resistance of like, I don't want to work on those patterns in the set in the context of work or kind of this. And I love that we're talking about vulnerability and authenticity as kind of on the forefront of work, because I find that that's the last thing people want to bring into work. It's like, no, 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 I can be more vulnerable and more authentic with my, my kids and my wife and my partner and my friends and my husband, but not at work. And so I'm just, I love that we're flipping this equation and you're really inviting that into, you know, kind of all the realms. Yeah. One of the things that I wanted to also mention is, you know, when you invite somebody to take this step to go through the process with work sponsoring it and so forth, and I think there's a few things that are really important. One is to obviously make sure that it's voluntary, that nobody feels forced to do this. The second is also letting people know upfront what can happen. You know, it goes deep and there may be cans of worms that can get opened. I had one situation where, you know, somebody came back and I had to give that individual Fridays off to have a few long weekends afterwards to really process some things that came up. And you have to be there to support them. You know, you can't just walk away and say, oh, you're back now. You have to work with that and you have to make sure that you support them. And like I mentioned before, you can't have, you can't put any expectations on the individual. Everybody has the different journey after Hoffman. For me, it just clicked. Everything just became crystal clear. It was like I could take Hoffman and everything that I had learned and I could get to work right away. It made total sense to me. I've seen others where it really didn't do much in the beginning, but then it percolated for a while. And then over time, it really gain momentum. And I think it's really important that everybody find their own pace and their own way of using the process and the gift of the process afterwards. I've only had, I think, one person where it just, they just didn't get it at all. Yeah. I don't even know why, why they said yes, but that's, that was the only time. And then other times it was just that it percolated for a while. And then eventually there were questions and then things sort of kicked in. Well, I'm thinking the process can open up things for us and have some deep discoveries. I'd love for you to take us back to a moment in your own process, like that moment in time where it hit you, like, this is where I'm meant to be. And, and this is this is it. My childhood was my, my father was an alcoholic. That was, you know, that, that was a bit rough. You know, there was a nice bouquet of patterns that came along with growing up in a household like that. Luckily, I did not have to deal with violence. And in hindsight, I feel very grateful for that. I wish I could go back in time and give my father the gift of Hoffman. I think that would have been life-changing for him. But given that, there was a moment in the process, there was, there was a particular piece of music that was played. For many years, Mozart's Requiem was sort of this music that I had listened to when I was feeling really down and just, you know, it's a Requiem, so it's, <laughs> it's not an uplifting piece of music, but it was something that I would listen to I felt it grounding, I felt it settling, and it helped me to deal with my grief. And in thinking back at my childhood and all the problems that that caused, there was a moment in, in the process where I have no idea who picked that 
but that piece of music Mitzvah's Rikim started playing and it took maybe three notes and I was just immediately that was that was the moment where everything sort of cracked open for the rest of the day I was able to really do a real deep dive and I was letting go of any of the last resistance to really dive deep into that corner of my my soul you know my teacher was the wonderful Lisa Venga Lisa was just she was like an angel to me to just the way she held me and the way she nurtured me throughout the entire process, but particularly that day was absolutely amazing. But that basically opened up the floodgates for me. And I found that everybody has a different point uh, in the process where it just sort of clicks. And then it really just depends on who you are. And there's really no rhyme or reason to it, but there is a particular point where, where that happens. And, uh, and I have to say, I'm not only am I eternally grateful to the Hoffman teachers, what you all do is, is absolutely amazing, huge gift to humanity, but it's also the whole process is so incredibly well designed. And for a self-described control freak, it was really wild to watch all the details that go into it to basically be in an environment where you can where you can go into that moment that I just described and feel completely safe. Well, that story brought goosebumps to me because it is it is so fascinating you never know when someone's moment is going to be you know i have found over the years that everyone has one of these moments where it's this touchstone they just remember it so vividly and the fact that you know we play a lot of music but you know the fact that a song that was so personal to you and had such a history to it was played during the process and and really kind of bridged um some of that emotional connection for you is just like wow totally spirit at work that was it almost felt like divine intervention yeah i just i could listen to these stories endlessly because i just i find them all so uniquely fascinating there are so many memories from from that weekend and after yeah i could talk about that for hours watching the people in my group individually when they kind of went over that i guess i can call it a hump where the world sort of opened up and you just after that you don't ever see it the same way again and it's a, it's a beautiful thing what i took away from the process was to be really really nice to others genuinely nice to others you have to know how to be nice to yourself you know and at times i wasn't quite at my best because i was always relentlessly brutal on myself hoffman allowed me to be a lot softer with myself and a lot nicer to myself and that was that was probably one of the biggest gifts that, that came out of that but that started on that day when, when that piece of music was played. That was literally the beginning of that of the journey for me. Well, I'm curious if over the years that you've been sort of introducing Hoffman and using the tools, if you have any small ways that leaders or managers or, you know, whatever it may be that they can, and after they've been to Hoffman, like what are some small ways that people can bring some of Hoffman, whether it's tools or um, ways of being kind of back into their work environment. Never thought of it in that context. I mean, I would have to go back to being authentic and being vulnerable. You can be a good manager, but that's not the same as being a great leader. A great leader has to be able to also inspire people and allow them to come together to achieve something bigger than than they thought might be possible or to go through a particularly challenging project or through adversity and so forth and and still feel like they want to show up they're actually you know excited to show up at work and uh, i mean it also makes good business sense i don't want to you know i don't want to sit here and 
and say, I'm just doing this for the greater good. I mean, I do believe it's the right thing to do, but it ultimately also makes good business sense. You want your people to show up at work and be excited. But to go back to your question, I would just say it allows you to be who you are because there's also not one leadership style. There's so many different styles. There's a company called IDEO and somebody there wrote a white paper and and it was sort of a tongue-in-cheek operating manual for introverts. And it was written for extroverts. It was basically saying, hey, you know, not everybody works like you guys. We don't want to go on a business trip and then go out to 10 bars and go do karaoke, whatever. We actually need time to recharge our batteries. And so don't take it personal if we, if we don't go out with you or these kinds of things. But it, it really opened my eyes in terms of that I need to be as a leader. I need to be also flexible and adaptable in terms of how other people lead and make space for that, make room for that. Especially if you're the CEO or if you're at the top sort of at the org chart, you have to be really careful. Everything you do has sort of a multiplier effect because everybody watches you very, very carefully. And so I would say after Hoffman, just be yourself be more of who you really are. Yeah. Be who you really are. Be authentic. And you're obviously, if you're in that position, you have earned it through the skills and everything else that you bring to the table. So now you can take your leadership sort of game to the next level. But I don't think there's a particular game plan. It just allows you to be more authentic and allows you to be more, you know, at times when it's appropriate, more vulnerable, and thereby inspiring the people who are on your team to do the same. And to build connections with them where you can have the conversations with them to get work done or to have difficult conversations when they're not doing something that they're supposed to do or something didn't get done. But you can have these really tough conversations in a way that isn't soul crushing for them. It's actually, in the end, inspiring. And so the only advice I have, to be honest with you, it sounds very simplistic, is just to, you can be more yourself, be more authentic, and then also you know, allows you to be more vulnerable because it is a superpower because it, it opens the door for other people to be themselves, to be a, for them to be authentic and for them to connect with you and to have real conversations at a level that gets a lot of work done and removes a lot of, you know, obstacles. That's bringing me back to a part in the process where we talk about focusing on the being, not the doing. It's a beautiful sentiment to, to end on, just focus on the being. Carson, anything else that we want to add in before we wrap up? There's so much to talk about, but I I think that I would love to hear back from others who have used the Hoffman process as a leadership development tool. I think it's hugely untapped, and I think there's something there. Actually, I don't have a lot of spare time, but at some point I was going to talk to Hoffman about, is there something there that you can do where you can really develop a leadership program. If you look out there, the people who talk about leadership, Simon Sinek, Sinek, and Brene Brown, and so forth, they all talk about these same themes, right? They talk about how to do this. But I think what Hoffman brings to the table is the missing piece, which is, well, you can talk a lot about this stuff. And and obviously, you can become self-aware without having gone through the Hoffman process. It's not the only modality that allows you to develop those kinds of skills. I just happen to find it's It's a very far-reaching and also efficient way to do that work. So I'm not by any means saying, you know, you have to do this or else it's not going to work. But I think as a leadership tool, I think to get that far within one week, it's pretty efficient and, and incredibly effective. So for me, I would love to hear from other leaders, CEOs, company owners, how they might have actually used it themselves. This podcast came about because I had a conversation with somebody from Hoffman in the office when I told him what I was doing. And so... I would love to have a conversation about this and hear more about it, because I think there's a lot of potential to make better leaders, 
to develop leaders, to make companies better places to work at. We can get more work done and we can have more fun together. That's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate having you on, Karsten, and hearing um, and you sharing with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I, I really enjoyed this. I'm hoping to hear back from others and, uh, and hear about their stories for using Hoffman as a, as a leadership development tool. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.